Let's go. I'm Dr. Neil Barnard, and I'm with SoFlow Vegans. And welcome back, everyone, to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. And today we have a special guest. And unless you just blindly jumped into this podcast without reading any of the description, you are not going to be surprised who it is when I tell you their name. But before we get there, I want to introduce who our guest host, well, I should just say co-host host by this time. I um, want to introduce yourselves. Hi, guys. If you don't remember me, I'm Alba. And it's Jackie Tarleton. Welcome back. And our guest is none other than Dr. Neil Barnard. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I know you have a busy schedule today. I appreciate you making time to speak with us. And can you just, before we get into everything that everyone wants to hear about, let's talk about why you're actually in South Florida right now. Well, I'm at the restaurant plant which is a new, very hip, cool place uh, promoting plant-based eating. And I'm going to do a talk tonight at 7 o'clock. And you were kind enough to come out and spend some time with me. So thank you for that. And what is your talk about? I am going to talk about how people went off track from a mostly plant-based diet that people were eating over the millennia into how meat eating began and the price that we have paid for it and how we can maybe back out of that into a safer space. All right, awesome. And just to give us some context of who we're speaking to, for a lot of people who maybe who just became plant-based and they're getting acclimated to all the amazing information, education that's out there and that's available, can you tell us a little bit about um, the role that you're currently play playing in spreading awareness on making positive health choices? Yeah, well, in 1985, I started this group called the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And you can think of it as, as a group of doctors who provide some expertise, we do some research, we have a lot of educational materials, not just for doctors, but for everybody. And that's what we've been doing for quite a long period of time. And when we got started, there were people who were advocating for vegetarian or vegan diets, but there weren't a lot of doctors backing them up saying, wait a minute, th this, is, this is real, the science is there. And that's kind of been our role. And we also do research studies, um, and I write a lot of books. And, things like that, which hopefully are helpful for, for people. And what was the trigger for you to um, found that organization? After I got out of medical school, I was troubled by the fact that we weren't doing a darn thing for the heart attack until it came into the emergency room or, or to, to prevent cancer until it was showing up on a mammogram. And I thought, what happened to prevention? And nutrition was just not on the radar of the medical world. And I thought, that's got to change. Uh, plus, I was troubled about how research was done, particularly the use and abuse of animals in research. And I thought that's an area where doctors can speak up too. So those have been things that we've been doing now for uh, over 30 years. And can't, so, wow, so over 30 years. So during that time, what are some of the, I wanna say, highlights or successes that you've been able, whether it's directly through PCRM or through organizations that have been supported by what you're doing? Well, uh, I think you hit on a really important thing, which is um, we're not the Lone Ranger. Um, there's lots of people working together, and this, uh, this movement has become so big and so pervasive. It's doctors, it's lay people, it's uh, athletes, it's celebrities, it's all kinds of people um, who are now saying, it's true. 
we've got to make some big diet changes, and if we do, the world will be a better place, animals will be a heck of a lot better off, and your coronary arteries are going to thank you too. So all this is happening together. So what have we done? Um, we're probably best known for the research studies that we've done showing, for example, that diabetes can actually be reversed. Um, people can lose weight. Their, their, their heart can be much healthier. Um, diseases that we thought were one-way streets are two-way streets. You can, you can recover your health. Uh, we've been pushing on the U.S. government quite a lot, and we're able to get rid of the meat group. Um, the, the pyramid that a lot of us grew up with has been replaced by a plate. Not perfect, but it doesn't have a meat group anymore. Um, yeah, which is, <laughs> we, got, we got more work to do, but, 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 but that's good. Um, we've got more and more, frankly, a huge number of doctors who are now going this way. When we started, there was kind of a handful, but you should see it. We have a conference every year, and this last year we had more than 1,000 docs coming, and this next year it's going to be even bigger. So um, those are a few things, but there's lots more to come. And I love the pictures that you guys have when you guys are all in your white lab coat standing in front of the White House. I yeah. love the pictures. The oh, well, I got to tell you, um, it pumps the doctors up, I have to say, to, to be in front of the White House spreading their message in this huge mass. And I'm hoping it has some effect on the White House, too, but you can never tell. I, I have to say the White House could use a little more fiber in its diet. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully someday nurses are also going to be able to join this committee as well because we are also at the bedside taking care of the patients after the doctor is done opening or closing or doing their, their part. Well, that day is today. Uh, we have many doctors who belong to the Physicians Committee. It's called the Physicians Committee because it was a, a doctor's group, and I called it a committee because I wanted about 15 members that would opine on the issues of the day. But we now have about 15,000 uh, doctors and maybe 200,000 members overall, and many of them are nurses. And so I hope nurses will join. You yeah. can actually get listed, Alba, on plantbaseddoctors.org. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so we encourage our members, because we have members all over the place who are saying, who can I trust who's near me? You know, I live in Miami, I live in Hollywood, I live wherever. Um, and, and so that's, that's exactly what we're doing. So pretty much any doctor or nurse or pretty much any medical professional who wants to be part of this, they can go ahead and join and put their name out there because people are searching for more plant-based options for their healthcare yes. providers. Health professionals join us for exactly that reason. And people who are not health professionals will join us to support us as supporters. And so I'm hoping that everybody who's listening will go to pcrm.org, sign up, join us. There's lots of information, lots of free things to download. We have our Kickstart program. Uh, it's the 21-day vegan Kickstart. So for a person who's thinking, I don't know, should I do it? Well, test drive it. Take 21 days, do a plant-based diet, see if those pounds don't come off. See if uh, your cholesterol doesn't come down. See if your diabetes doesn't get better. We do it in English. We do it in Spanish. Uh, it's, on, it's on your iPhone, it's on your Android. A 21 day vegan Kickstart, just download it, it's there. It's a beautiful app, I actually have that and I've recommended it to several people. You guys have videos, tutorials, yeah. dietitian speaking, like you guys did a really good job and really good recipes too. So Thank you, I wish I could claim credit for all of it, but I can't. <laughs> we, have, we have a great team um, of doctors, dietitians, nurses um, who all do this work together. So as far as yourself, you talked about PCRM, you talk about the, the industry, or I don't want to say the industry, but the medical the healthcare. healthcare field overall. Yeah. What about yourself? Like, when did you decide that this, this lifestyle is the route that you wanted to go? Yeah, I got to tell you, this is the opposite of everything that I knew growing up. Mm. I grew up in North Dakota, been to Fargo, 
Yeah. No. no. Watch, watch the movie. You saw the movie. <laughs> hey, that counts. That counts. Uh, that's where I grew up. Oh, wow. And every day in my life, it was roast beef, baked potatoes, and corn. Except for special occasions when it was roast beef, baked potatoes, and peas. But that was like all I knew. And the year before I went to medical school, I had a job in Fairview Hospital mm. in Minneapolis in the basement. Um, where the morgue was. Mm. And when anybody died, my job was to prepare the... Don't look at me that way. <laughs> my body. My job was to pre prepare the body for the examination. And they were in the cooler, and I'd pull them out, and the pathologist knew that I was going to go to medical school. So he would tell me everything. And he slit... One day in particular, there was a guy who died in the hospital of a massive heart attack. And so the pathologist slits open... He's, you open the skin, and then ripped out a big chunk of ribs so he could expose the heart. And he looked at the heart, and it was filled with atherosclerotic plaque that's in one of the coronary arteries on the surface of the heart. Um, it's just narrowed. It's like rusty pipes. And so he showed that to me, and he would say, this is your bacon and eggs, Neil. You know, this is your pork chops, da-da-da. That's what causes this. At the end of the exam, he left the room. And so my job then was clean up. And so I put all the organs back in the body. I put the ribs which were on the table, put the ribs back in the chest, and I sewed the skin up and cleaned everything. And then I went up to the cafeteria, and they were serving ribs for lunch. Oh, and God. I wanted to tell you, it, I did not become a vegetarian on the spot, but it looked like a dead body, and it smelled like a dead body, and I realized, this is a dead body. It is. It's not a human body. It is. But if you're eating pieces of a cow or a chicken or whatever, you're eating... Muscle I, I know it sounds funny to think of it as a corpse, but that is what it is. And so I started to reflect on... I mean, up until that point, I had hunted. I had, I had driven cattle to slaughter myself uh, with my uncle. Um, and I had a job at McDonald's when I was a kid and all this stuff. And I started to rethink, this is kind of crazy. And eventually, I also discovered the other health aspects, the animal aspects the environmental aspect, and I have to say that you grow up and in the same way as you learn there is no Santa Claus, there is no normal sane way to keep eating the way we're eating. Um, and that's a little bit about what I, want, what I want, want to talk about today. The diseases that we suffer from, I'm talking about heart disease, many forms of cancer, obesity, diabetes, hypertension. These are things that are directly related to what we eat and primarily an animal-based diet. Now, our bodies are fragile things. You can get sick no matter what. Uh, nothing's perfect. Even a vegan is going to have a health problem here and, here and there. But we are asking for trouble. If you pop a cigarette in your mouth and you light it up, um, you're asking for trouble if you put a burger or a steak or a chicken breast on your plate. Um, and it took me a long time to figure that out. But it's true. And what we have been doing is, I mentioned earlier, is we do research. I don't want people to just take this on faith. We have to prove it. So we bring people in who have diabetes, and we put them on vegan diets. I mean, a plant-based diet, no animal products. And you see their diabetes improving dramatically. Dean Ornish, who is a medical genius, if ever there was one, showed that you could do this for heart disease. You bring in a person with narrowed arteries, you put them on a plant-based diet, have them put out the cigarettes, have them handle stress, um, have them exercising, even mild exercise. Put it all together, the arteries start opening up again. It's amazing. So that's the word that we want to get out there. Anyway, that was, that was my journey. It's, it started in the basement of 
Fairview Hospital in Minneapolis. It's okay, Sean. <laughs> Sean is used to it because Jackie and I are medical professionals, so for us, we're like with our eyes open right here, and Sean is like trying not to throw up, right? Sean? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well, what happens to the human body is, is kind of gross when we um, mistreat it. it yes. From the, from the inside out. And I come from a trauma ER background. So you've seen it. I've seen it all. I've seen the gunshot wounds. I've seen stabbing. You, you, I've seen it all, especially here in Miami. With the accidents that we have, everything in 95. And then now I got a little burned out because I was a travel nurse for a while. But I moved to the cath lab. I get the massive heart attacks. I get the strokes. Absolutely. I get people needing EP labs i need all of that stuff and i see it and it's crazy and my youngest heart attack was 29 years old i, I was going to say uh, you know people think well you're old that'll happen to you no um it's no longer the disease of the old it's now the disease of pretty much every age group and that's that, well that's right and, and also when you were 16 50 was old uh -huh. or 60 was old but i gotta tell you um, as one who has been 50 and 60, um, you discover, wait a minute, you've got some life left in you that you, you do want to keep doing. Some I'm sorry, Dr. Neal, can you repeat that again? You yeah, have exactly. passed over 60. Hey, I'll tell you, you're going to get there too. No, but, you look what, amazing. What, what happens? Whoever, I mean, well, whoever looks at this, you do not look like you're in your 60s. Oh, well, that's really nice. Keep saying that. <laughs> anyway, the, 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 point, the point being that, um, yes, something's going to get you sooner or later, mm -hmm. but hopefully when you're in kind of whatever age you are. You should be young, you should be alive, you should be able to do stuff and not be stuck in your chair because your heart is impaired and you can't you know, get on the ground and play with your kids or your grandkids or whatever. Or not go to the bathroom without somebody else helping you. All that stuff, yeah, exactly. Everybody says, well, there's one life to live, I want to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The day that somebody has to help me because I didn't take care of my body, then that is not quality of life and you didn't live your life. But you know, I gotta tell you, there are so many surprises with this. The disease, on my list of diseases I do not want to ever get, disease number one, Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was a kid, I remember seeing my grandpa. And my grandpa would kind of say the same joke twice and three times and four times. And then he kind of didn't know who all his grandkids were anymore. And then he didn't know who his kids were anymore. And then he didn't know who his wife was anymore. And then he's sitting in a rocking chair in the corner of his room, and he doesn't know anything or anyone. Mm. And anything that ever mattered has been removed from his life. And then that happened to my grandma, and it happened to my father, and you think, okay, what can I do about this? And researchers in Chicago, back in 1993, started tracking foods not for heart disease or for colon cancer or the things that you think about, but for the brain. And they found that the same kinds of risk factors attack the brain. I'm talking, you're eating bacon and cheese, all that saturated fat attacks the brain. Um, that's the bad news. The good news, everything that you're doing to help your heart. Can help to reverse that. Helps your brain. Yeah, exactly, or at least prevent it. Um, so yeah, if, if, it, if people needed any kind of reason to be on a healthier diet, there's a million of them. And I'm always curious to this fact, we're talking about meat and not and dairy and um, any animal foods that will cause these diseases. As someone who is not eating that, are there any, any types of foods that I need to be looking out for, anything that I shouldn't be eating? So I know I'm not in the clear. There's still things that are out there. But like for people who have made that transition and not consuming animal products, what should we be looking out for? Wait a minute. Okay. Talking so, on like the junk food vegan diet versus the plant-based diet. 
Okay, so you're vegan. Should you do more than be vegan? Should you do more? Yeah, for sure. Um, a, a vegan diet, you know, people think of it as an extreme diet. It's not extreme, it's easy. You know, a vegan diet means I'm at the, an Italian restaurant and they bring me a salad. The meat eater eats a salad and so does the vegan. They bring me lentil soup just like everybody else or minestrone or pasta vegetable. There's nothing different. Um, the difference is when my angel hair pasta arrives, I don't throw meat sauce on it, I throw the tomato sauce or the... Uh, the garlic. Well, the, yeah, Amazing. the garlic and the wild mushrooms or the you know, artichoke hearts or whatever the heck it is. This is not a diet of deprivation. Mm -hmm. If you want to have the wine before and the espresso after, nobody's going to sneeze at you. You know, this is an easy, easy diet. And now we have vegan wine. You got everything. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And so the question is, should you do more? I think of a plant-based diet not as the extreme end. It's the beginning. Mm. It's the beginning. From here, you've gotten serious. The corpse is not on your plate anymore. Now we're gonna think, okay, what else can I do? And what you discover, well, first of all, when I was a kid growing up, roast beef, baked potatoes, corn. Now, I can go to my, this beautiful Italian restaurant. I can go next door to a Mexican restaurant where I'll have the veggie fajitas and the bean burritos and the beans and rice. Or I can go next to that, there's a sushi bar where they might have vegetarian miso soup They'll have all kinds of delightful, delicate salads, and they'll make me a cucumber roll, asparagus roll, tofu roll instead of the fish. Mm -hmm. Easy. I can go Thai, I can go Vietnamese, I can go Ethiopian. If you said, don't have any of that, go back to North Dakota, just have your you know, roast beef and baked potatoes. Like, what kind of life is that? To me, a vegan diet is so rich and so varied and so delicious. And plus, it just feels better um, to you. But are there other things you can do? Absolutely. Um, job one, maybe. Uh, cut down on oils, mm. oils in general, and, and even restaurants, they are in love with their bottle of olive oil and they go blub, 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 all of your food. They gotta kinda keep that easy. And I hate to break everybody's heart, but coconut oil, use it to shine your shoes, mm. you know? Yeah, put it on your skin, something like that, you know, but don't eat it. It is so heavily saturated and there's a big industry pushing it and trying to say, no, it's really, it's different. It is not different. Coconut oil is poison, if you ask me. Um, and once you get away from the oils, that's good. Uh, buy organic? Sure, absolutely. Um, if somebody says, no, I could save you some money by throwing chemicals in your food, I say, you keep it. <laughs> you know, any, ch any time you have a chance to go organic, do. Um, those are a few things. Um, and, and one last thing, and then I'm gonna shut up for, for a second because I've been jabbering on and on. Sorry about that. Um, good for a podcast. <laughs> sometimes people talk about vegan junk food, but I wanna, I wanna rebel a little bit against that notion because they, Vegan junk food isn't any worse than omnivorous junk food. There is so much junk food out there in the omnivorous world. I mean, people eating pork rinds and all this stuff. So a person who gets away from animal products, whatever they're doing, that's a great step. If they have gotten the meat and the dairy off their plate, good on them, that's great. From there, mm. you, you're gonna wanna go typically simpler and more natural foods. But I don't want people to think that, oh, they've been eating wild-caught salmon in this wonderful diet, and when they went vegan, they're eating junk food. Uh, it doesn't work that way. A, a junk food omnivore might become a junk food vegan, mm. which was a darn good step. And then from there, they can be a healthy food vegan. Boom, I love it. No, and there was a study, I think, in Jack 2017, looking at vegetarian diets or vegan diets mm. compared to more of the junk food vegan diets, and they didn't show any benefit when people were consuming a junk food vegan diet compared to a vegan diet. So eating a whole food plant-based diet is the healthiest thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the, 
Yeah, exa exactly. Now keep in mind, even, but even people who are on a not so selective diet, as long as there's no animal products in it, they are gonna be slimmer. Their risk of diabetes will be less. Um, and that's what the st studies do tend to show. But absolutely, um, now that you've gotten the animal products off, you know, let's bring in vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans. Those are my four magic food groups. Do take a vi vitamin B12 supplement, important for healthy nerves, healthy blood. And then after that, kind of keep it simple. I love what you said in regards that it's not a deprivation. It yeah. is a diet of discovery. Because maybe you have, might not have discovered acai bowls, for example. You might not have discovered this fruit from Brazil. You might not have discovered the other fruits that maybe they have in, in Asia, like maybe mango teen, uh, a lychee fruit maybe, right. instead of your typical banana and apple. It's a, I think it's, it's more of a discovery. It's like, wow, you get to taste a different taste, a different culture. You get to discover something new. In fact, yes, I think what you said is exactly right on. And there are different favorite foods that you can discover from so many different cultures. Often, they're their most basic foods. Um, we do some work with the Navajo Nation in um, Arizona. Mm. And, which is important because this is a population just attacked by diabetes yes. and obesity. And that's not because of their traditional diet. The traditional diet is corn and beans and squash and healthy foods. And it has been replaced by um, cheese and meat and all kinds of junk that the government has... Um, has given them from the reservations. And, right, um, exactly. They fry I mean, a lot of stuff it, as well. it's, a, it's a horrible story of exploitation. but. I have to say, I, I started digging into corn and beans and squash, and they plant them in a certain way that I have tried in my own garden, and it is the most amazing thing. You plant squash, uh, you plant corns. It's called the three sisters. Corn starts, and around the corn you put beans, and the beans pull nitrogen out of the air and put it into the ground just like fertilizer, but you don't add fertilizer. How people figure this out, like 100,000 years ago, I have no idea. Um, and then they plant squash around it, and the big squash leaves shade the ground so that weeds don't grow, and then the spiny um, stems of the squash keep the raccoons from eating your corn, and you just plant one little mound after another, after another, after another. So I thought, I'll try it. And it was all organic. I didn't use any, any pesticides or fertilizer or anything. And it just explodes, and it's the most delicious thing you've ever had. Go into your garden, you pull off a ear of corn, throw it in boiling water for four minutes. Wow. And you don't need the butter and salt or anything. It's just like candy. Um, so cool. So then, so then from there, you can explore the wonders of, say, Japanese cuisine or Thai cuisine. Mm. Or um, even in France, it's, uh, where it was like no vegan world at all until about three years ago. Wow. And vegan diets have exploded in France, and regional cooking has started to um, bring such pride to vegetables of all kinds. They will show you these gorgeous little artichokes. They're called artichoke violet, um, like purple artichoke. Little delicate thing that they'll um, steam up for you and serve you. Um, and so anyway, what, what you said is right. It is a, a diet of exploration, and it's an adventure where you find ways of taking these jewels and you say, no, don't do that. Let me show you what we've got in the slaughterhouse. Like, let me tell you something. There's nothing artistic um, in the cooling bath with, chi with chicken carcasses going through it. Um, wow. Yes, exploration, that's it. Guys, we need to go to France next. And that sounds so good. 
I'm salivating listening to this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm glad we're talking about different food and cuisine from around the world. Because one of the big things that we're focused on with SoFlo Vegans is helping make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. Yes. And we live in a wonderful area of the world, a unique ecosystem that only exists here, especially in the United States of America. But there are a lot of amazing things happening across the country. We were talking about it earlier today. Do you want to speak into what we were talking about as far as some initiatives that are happening? Like all the different restaurant initiatives and everything that we're doing? Well, I mean, talking about like in New York, uh, Meatless Mondays, all these different things. Yes. So going back to all the research that you guys do, you guys, PCRM, you guys have been instrumental in getting different bills passed. You guys were instrumental in getting the California bill passed where plant-based foods have to be provided to schools, prisons, hospitals, nursing homes. That's huge. And most recently, you guys were you guys were able to get Meatless Mondays passed in New York. And that's incredible. I actually shared that on my, on my Facebook page. And I had people commenting, and they're like, Jackie, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that <laughs> if I made you eat meat, would you be happy? And I'm like, I think you're missing the point. But can you talk about how crucial it is, especially for kids, to have a nourishing plant-based day of food? For Meatless Mondays. Yes, well, first of all, um, credit in the credit where credit is due department, there were others in New York who really have done brilliant, brilliant work with this. Um, and it's been very much a team effort. Um, and one shining star in New York is Eric Adams, who is the president of Brooklyn. You know, there, there's a mayor of all of New York, but each borough has a president, and Eric Adams is the president of Brooklyn. And he had he developed diabetes, which was a big surprise to him to have it diagnosed. Uh, and he was way overweight, and he happened to stumble on the, what a vegan diet will do. He went vegan, lost weight, got rid of the diabetes, and has been the biggest champion for healthy eating in not just Brooklyn, but all of New York, and frankly, um, New York State and, and beyond. So things are just changing dramatically. But back to, to Meatless Mondays. Um, if a child does not know how to get through a day without e- eating meat, that's a skill that is going to really hold them back. That's a child who isn't going to know how to handle the things that are going to make him or her unhappy in midlife. I'm talking about cholesterol problems and obesity and, and um, hypertension and, and you name it. They need to know these things. And frankly, I think we need Meatless Monday and Meatless Tuesday <laughs> and, and Meatless Wednesday and Vegan Thursday. I mean, uh, th- there is no great uh, advantage to a child learning how to eat meat. Um, when kids are raised on a carnivorous diet, as, as I was, and maybe you were too, um, those are things that are impediments to kids' to kids development. Um, it puts them at higher risk. It's like having kids smoke every day. You know, if you, if you have non-smoking Monday, is that radical? I don't think so. Um, we, it, it should be in New York and everywhere. So we're kind of running down to the end of the podcast. I want to make sure everyone that did come here is able to hear your speech and hear your lecture. So we have a feature on our podcast where people can actually submit questions. And so we had a few people submit questions, and I want us to go into that segment. We're going to put in some fun music. That's the segment. No. Okay. So (laughs) this question is from Jeff Howard. So, Hi, Dr. Bernard. Thanks for all the inspiring work that you do. 
With all that I've learned about health, lifestyle, and nutrition, I've been thinking about how I can dedicate myself towards helping others. It seems that becoming a health coach is the best way to start helping people at a professional level without years of schooling. Do you agree or do you think there are similar or better options for someone who's not already a medical professional? Regarding health coaching, do you have any tips regarding where or how to get certified? And do you still do any work with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition? Thank you. Uh, well, thank you, Jeff. Great question. Um, well, first of all, I, I love his motivation because that, that's wonderful. He, he wants to not just get himself healthy. He wants to spread the word to other people, and that's fabulous. Um, health coaching, I think, is a cool thing. Um, it's certainly a growing profession. And there, he mentioned the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which is a group I'm not personally affiliated with them, but they, were kind of, they have been kind enough to ask me to teach. And so um, they, it started out all live classes in New York, and I'd go up every year, and I'd, I would, would teach the students, and it grew and grew and grew, and now it has a huge online presence. So I think they're great. Um, I think it's good to hook up with them. Um, I hope also that, that Jeff and others will read um, all the explosion of books that are out there. Um, I've written some that I always throw in a book what I think is important, but Michael Greger and Dean Ornish and Dr. Esselstyn and Colin Campbell and um, so many people, John McDougall, have written really important books um, that are good to look at. And it doesn't take as long as you think as half of its recipes. So. <laughs> and going to your PCRM conference and possibly even the International Plant-Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference. Oh, thank you, yes. Lifestyle, Lifestyle Medicine Conference. Yes, ours is called the International Conference on Nutrition in Medicine. It's uh, just when Washington is at its most sweltering in July. That's when we have to have the conference. This year it's July 25th, 26th, 27th. And oh, I've got to tell you, you should see it. There's a thousand doctors there, um, but there are medical students, there are plenty of nurses. Um, it's cool, and every meal is vegan. Um, and it's, it's a good networking opportunity. We also have Food for Life instructors. Jeff, if you're still listening, um, we have uh, hundreds of Food for Life instructors, in, mostly in the United States, but in other countries too. And they come, they spend some time learning how we do it, and then you go back to your community. And you can hold classes, and you can charge for it. And people show up, and you do our cancer series, or a diabetes series, or whatever. Um, so yeah, those are good opportunities. Have fun. And then we have our last question, and this comes from Desiree. Hi, I have a three-year-old son who is about 80% vegan. In school, he has a vegetarian diet since they don't have a vegan one. And I'm the only one in the family that is vegan, so I give him, and I'm the one that gives him most of his meals. So that's why he's about 80%. His father and is not, and his grandparents are not, and they give him meat uh, every now and then, but especially when he stays with his grandparents, um, they're on the regular American diet. So my question is, how can I inspire him to have more of a vegan lifestyle? I find that um, I feel like I'm swimming against the tide. Um, so I, any, any help would be great. Thank you. Desiree, I feel your pain. Um, did I understand the question right? It sounds like she and her husband don't agree. And it, it sounds like she, she has a son who, I, she, I didn't hear what age the son is, but he's big enough to go to school and make like choices. Elementary school. Make choices for himself. Um, and so she wants the kid to be vegan, but the father doesn't really care, and the grandparents on that side don't care. Um, I have to say, I think the first thing to do is that the parents need to get together and try to sort this out. Um, and this is a time for moms not to be overly nice. And it's easy for me to say because I'm not there. Um, and she may or may not win this battle. But what I think she ought to do is get an air popper. 
and pop up a big bag of popcorn and make dad sit there with her and watch What the Health. And in 90 minutes, he's going to say, Desiree, you are right. And then the next day show, forks over knives or something like that. So they can get on the same page a little bit because um, she's right. This would be a really good thing uh, for the child, but, but her, you know, her husband, like the rest of the culture, just hasn't quite gotten there yet. He might be well-meaning, but he doesn't have the same knowledge base, probably. Um, and if you're in a school where they don't have vegan meals, uh, brown bagging is a darn good thing. You've got to make the, make the brown bag, bag ample because the other kids are going to want to eat it. Um, and, you know, um, I really think that's kind of the thing to do. Um, if the child is 16, 17, 18, you do your best, but you're going to be lucky if the kid isn't shooting heroin, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, kids, w- when they're that old, they can do it. They can smoke, they can drink, they'll, they'll do anything they want to. Um, you try to encourage them. You want to be a loving parent and a good coach like parents are. But if the kid is five or six or seven, this is not a time for kids to make their own decisions about food. This is a time for mom to be a mom and say, here's what we're going to do. Now, kids might do things when they're not around you. You can't control that, and you still love them. Um, they're at a birthday party somewhere else, and they eat some contraband. Okay. But in the house, you don't have meat just so they can make a choice. They're not old enough to make a choice. And if the kid comes home with a backpack of Marlboros, you are a mom. And you say, sorry, you know, I understand why you'd want to exp- you know, play with this, but we're not going to do it. Out. Um, same with bad foods. But there, there are lots of couples who are dealing with this, where one has figured it out, the other has it. And I always say they've got to figure out a way to get in, the same, get in the same space with this. And with that, I want to give you the floor. If there's anything that we didn't, that wasn't mentioned that you would like to talk about, um, now I would love for you to speak to our audience directly. Uh, well, I've got to say, uh, what you're doing is so important. Because it's important to learn about, about nutrition. It's, it's important to learn about it in all its aspects. What do our nutritional choices do to our health? What do they do to the environment? What are they doing to the animals that are on a factory farm or the fish in the ocean? These are things that people only have vague notions about. But once they really explore it and learn, it informs your decisions in such a powerful way. But once you've learned about it, you got to do one more thing. And it's the most important thing of all. you got to make noise. Mm. And that's what you're doing, is you're getting this word out to other people. Um, because if you don't want to take a secret you know, and, and keep it to yourself. You've got to give this to other people because they, in turn, will spread it to somebody else. One person listening to your podcast is going to tell somebody else. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell somebody else. And that's how it grows. So make, make noise. I love what you're doing. And do you have any closing remarks? Yeah, yeah just really quick because we were many people say, okay, I can leave the meat, but I cannot leave the cheese. So the book that we were discussing that is one oh. of your most recent one, The Cheese Trap. What can you say or how can people expect in your book to read about what is going on? Why can we not leave cheese? Yeah, cheese is a, it's a funny thing. Um, in our research studies, we bring in people, we make them vegan. They're, I mean, their lives transform. Their diabetes improves dramatically. Sometimes it goes away and everything else. But some of them will say, no matter how good I feel, I still miss cheese. And I think, what is it? They talk about it the way an alcoholic remembers his last drink. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm so, I just wish. And I think, what? It's, you know, it's basically yellow Vaseline. Why do people want this so much? Um, and we figured out why. There is a substance in cheese called casomorphins. Um, casein, 
is the milk protein. Pro protein. And it's concentrated in cheese, but um, as it breaks apart in digestion, it releases morphine-like compounds, casomorphins, that attach to the brain. And they attach to the same mu receptors that morphine attaches to. They're not as strong. Um, the brain binding power of a strong casomorphin is about 10% that of pharmacy-grade morphine. So wow. it, it's not enough to get you arrested, but it's more than enough for a person to go, okay, I'm, I'm glad I've had that. I hope I have some more tomorrow. Um, and it's also, by the way, you know, in uh, medical practice, if a person takes narcotic, what happens to their digestive tract? They get constipated. Very so after surgery, give them a narcotic painkiller, they're, they're all locked up. What happens when a person lingers too long at the cheese tray? They get locked up too. And they thought, I don't know what that's about. Well, it's because of this very mild narcotic effect on their digestive tract. Um, so that accounts for why they love cheese so much, because it's a little bit of a narcotic, and it's also salty and greasy, and people love salty, greasy things like potato chips. Um, but it is 70% fat, 7-0. Um, mostly saturated fat, so it's terrible for cholesterol. Uh, Alzheimer's, okay, uh, that's part of it too. And unlike just about everything else you would ever eat, dairy products have hormones in them. They have estrogens in them. And it comes from the fact that the cow was pregnant um, and it is impregnated annually by the, on the dairy. Um, and a pregnant animal makes estrogens and it gets in the milk. And there's not a lot, there's only a trace. But when the milk turns into cheese, it's more concentrated. And your average American consumes 35, 36, 37 pounds of it wow. every year. And so they're getting hormones that nature never thought in a million years you would get your hands on. No, this is for a cow that's 400 pounds. Right. Not for a human that weighs between 150 to maybe 200 pounds, depending on height and weight. So, yes. Um, and my hope is that when people understand uh, what's really in the dairy and concentrated in the cheese, that they'll start to think, maybe that's why my eight-year-old kid is a little chunky. Uh, maybe that's why I can't get my darn cholesterol down. Maybe that's why um, I've got whatever hormonal problem a person may have. Um, and, and for anybody who has asthma, uh, fertility issues. Cystic fibrosis. Any of these things, get away from the dairy. And even, uh, don't give up your skepticism. You, you don't have to believe it. You just have to try it. Get away from dairy and see if your breathing doesn't improve. And any closing remarks before we close out the podcast? I just want to thank you so much for your time. I could talk to you for hours. Mm -hmm. You guys are doing so much amazing work at oh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Also, you have Barnard Medical Center. So if you're in the D.C. area, I think you take patients from anywhere, actually. Yeah, the Barnard Medical Center is a primary care clinic that we set up in 2016. We opened our doors. And I hope people come see us in Washington, but we are going to start doing telemedicine. Mm -hmm. So um, this is gonna take time, but there are places that you can just call us up. Provide, you know, you, you really can't deal with a twisted ankle by telemedicine, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, if you've been seeing your own doctor and you need a little uh, counseling on our approach to diabetes or something like that, these are things that we can work on. So that's all Barnard Medical Center. I hope people come up and see us. My closing mm -hmm. remark is one, are you hiring nurses? I will be your nurse. Thank you. We'll have to I talk. I will be your nurse. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's second, fun, i got to say. You need to please, thank you so much for doing this, but please come back. We, we need to pick your brain apart, pick your knowledge apart more. I'm just very happy that you were able to do this and we were able to share this moment with you. Wouldn't miss it. All right, thank you so yeah. much.